Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Shankelberg. And this is Kirk Gray. And this is one of those episodes where Kirk and I are already arguing before we hit record. (laughs) (laughs) But I think we agree on a lot of things is that in an and one of them is, and this was based on a question I got I don't know, years ago, but it was in our brief discussion, it reminded me of it is, you know, I've got a development team, I've got engineers and we got hardware, software, you know, all these other components to this. Mm-hmm. What can I do that's like free and easy that will help me make a reliable product? He said, <laughs> our, our development cycle is so short that I only get to make, you know, like two cycles of prototypes. And by the, by the time I get the first prototype, if it's not really close, we're, we're going to, we're not going to get to market. And I said, Oh, okay. Well, you need to design in reliability. And he looked at me like, well, what does that mean? And, and it was, all right, what can I do? And it took me way back to my HB days. We had a two day course. It was called design for reliability. And we taught it all over the corporation. And it was, and in some places it was, it was the companies, the, the division would call us and say, Hey, we got 20 new engineers on staff in the building now with these three divisions. Can you come out and do the course again? And so we were there like every three months and, and then it'd be filled with people that had seen the course two, three times already. It was just good reminders, but there's a lot of things you can do that are really basic. And there's a lot of wonderful tools available more recently because of all the extra computer power we got around that re- take it over to the next level. Right. And you were talking about some multi-physics type stuff. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Let's, let's start with the fundamentals. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, my, my idea of a good design is following all the DFX designed for manif- designed for reliability, but designed for manufacturability. Yeah. Assembly. So you got to be able to reach the connector. <laughs> you got to be able to see the connector. That really You got to be able to see the connector. But let's focus on just that connector. Just the connector for a second. Right. It's like, okay. you know, I know you've seen it as many times as I have. Mm-hmm. They, they have a connector. And part of the assembly process is you put all this mm-hmm. stuff together and then you have room for your hand. You can actually see it and you put the connector right. in it. But there's no way the operator, the person assembling it, can tell if it's fully seated or not. There's right. no visual clue. There's no audible clue. There's no click. You, if you pull on it, it just comes back out. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a design choice, right? Is do I right. put a, a a clip on it or do I put a visual line on it? Do I right. like electronic components that have a polarity? Right. In some companies, they have 15 different ways to mark polarity on the circuit board. And so the operator is looking at trying to decipher, is that line or is that a dot or is that a triangle? Right, or is right, it, right. Pick one. Right. <laughs> Make it easy for them. These are all critical for reliability. Yeah. Critical. Absolutely. And this is what's go wrong. This is where it goes wrong. Well, it often does. And it's, you know, I, one of the way back when it was, is there were like six engineers that all had come to this division from different industries. One was some oil mm-hmm. gas, one was mm-hmm. some aerospace, one was, you know, from uh, uh, high speed uh, factory system. Mm-hmm. It was, it was amazing. And they all had completely different ideas what it meant to do DFR. 
and to okay. design for assembly and anything else. Right. And they were arguing and arguing and arguing. And they were all violently agreeing that they needed to actually, you know, do a dot for p- polarity. But they all had different symbols that they were familiar with. So they all used different things. This is pick one. Why did you, why uh, you got me down that's here? That's why we have standards, you know? Yeah. And so internally, if you, but the next step up from that, and there's plenty of rules and guidelines and stuff. And a lot of mechanical guys, I find, right. learn this stuff. Electrical and software guys, not so much. That the that just might be the crowd I run in. But the idea is, is that once you get some basic fundamentals and consistency so that it's easy to assemble, it's easy to check it. You, you don't, for example, you don't, on a circuit board, you don't figure out whether the circuit board works or not after you start building them. You've, you know, you got to do that in the design. No. It, well, you it, can model. I mean, we've done, you know, I, 50 years ago, when did I get my degree? Anyway. Well, spice um, modeling, right? Spice modeling, yeah. yeah. It's a stimulator. It, it simulated, and it did great circuit analysis, and, and would show you waveforms in any part of the circuit. Yeah. Um, but it, the, you know, it used ideal components. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then we got to – I often have – push people with spice models to say, all right, you, you've got a, a 10 volt device here. What happens right. if it's 11 volts or it's a 12 volt or if it has right. this resistance or that right. resistance, play with right. it, see what happens to your circuit. Mm-hmm. And like, Oh, it just falls apart when you do that. Yeah. Have you ever picked up a, a laptop, one of the early generation laptops and you had it plugged in and it was like a, you could cook cookies <laughs> yeah, it was pretty warm. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and in fact, it was a liability issue because it would burn people's uh, laps. Yeah, and it it, was... in fact, one company quit calling them laptops for that reason because don't put them on your lap. Yeah, yeah it, it was causing injuries, so they said they called them portables. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I find is a, a simple next step in in learning about your design is that when you get your first batch of prototypes, some go to sales, some go to software, some go over here, some go to there. Mm -hmm. And us Mm -hmm. poor guys over in quality and reliability get, you know, two, but you're not allowed to break them. Right. And, but all of those units have to turn on. All of those units are getting powered and exercised in one way or the other is, is go talk to those people. What's working, what's not working, have that fracas system enabled so that they can report any anomaly they see. Just right. pay attention to your design, even the, the breadboard stuff. You know, if there's sure. spots that are sure. just not quite right, track it, right. understand it. But don't put your breadboard under vibration yet, okay? No, no, yeah, don't, don't bother don't with Don't put that. any, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, don't do your impact testing on your, your you know, what are they, a 3D printed, uh, you know, or some real fragile quick make thing so you're not moldied parts right. yet. Right. But you're, you know, you can break it with a toothpick kind of thing. Right, right. Very brittle, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's not. So, so you know, I we we agree that if a company doesn't follow, doesn't use design for X uh, approaches and do well-centered, you know, uh, follow good design rules, then things can go wrong really quickly. Really quickly. And one of the simplest, simplest tools by far is... You don't have to wait for a design review to ask this question is, so how will it not work? How will it fail? Now you could blow it up into an FMEA and do a more detailed study of it, but yeah. just asking the design team, you know, the designer or an engineer is like, 
So what's keeping you up at night? What are the areas that are least likely to work? What do you want to test when we get to prototype stage? You know, Mm -hmm. which areas don't you have quite there yet? And sometimes, and you mentioned simulation tools like Spice, there are all kinds of tools nowadays out there. It's gotten incredibly uh, developed now that they can take, you know, an FR4 and all the layout and all the components you have on it, all the weights, all the temperatures. It can... uh, do uh, modal analysis, fluid heat transfer, um, you know, um, mechanics, uh, modes of uh, vibration. It can stimulate all these things. Very simulate, simulate, simulate right? Yeah. It doesn't stimulate. That's what we do in all. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it simulates very well. And I, I assume you can step up the stresses in all these software things and see what theoretically, because that's what you're doing with yeah. the um, the models they have in there, they don't really can't account for the variation in components or between manufacturers or a very much variation. In fact, I don't know what how they use the average uh, numbers or where they developed under average numbers for the components they're talking about. Yeah. They may use real models from companies. I don't know. Some do. They've gotten some quite, do. Yeah. They've gotten quite complex and they can do multiple physics at the same time yeah. where, you know, an FR4 material will vibrate, will have different modes of, of vibration of natural resonance frequency will change with the temperature. And we know that. And we know that, but it also is what kind and how many layers do you right. have and how's exactly. it held down? Catalyzation layers and oh, that is. It's, it, it makes it very complex. So these these tools are very helpful when you don't have anything yet, when you don't you're not ready to build it, but to verify, just like we do with Spice, that generally the, the circuit that you've designed will work. Now when you get to the reality of the components that you have to use. Uh, from different sources. Yeah, it, and that's where, the, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road. Well, it <laughs> is. But it also goes back to those design guidelines and design practices, the DFX right. and DF, all that stuff. Right. Is one right. of the best things we did when I was at Hewlett Packard was that we had you know various guidelines available. There's for heat, for uh, derating, for stress strength, stuff like that. But what made those documents invaluable is that we regularly polled and sat down a bunch of the senior engineers to say, in your experience, what's the best practice in this circumstance? What kind of components are more robust versus the ones that aren't? Yeah, right. How do you go about successfully solving these things? And then we double check because we had access to all their warranty data, field data. And it's like, yeah, you know, if you use this, this, and this in combination, that really works. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. If you go cheap and, oh, we'll just glue it. We don't need no stinking bolt. And we find out that that just doesn't work. So we would document stuff like that, the lessons learned, right in the DFX documents. Right. And it'd be, (laughs) you know, kind of capturing that tribal knowledge. And it keeps evolving. It keeps moving forward. But it was... That's so hard. It is hard, but it it saved us millions of dollars. Well, yes. If You know, this is all... uh, and and we had just constantly um, uh, reorganizations that made it, you know, first of all, if you found something, you kind of. Well, don't tell anybody because then you have to fix it or it's exactly, your fault. Exactly. Exactly. You have to stupid it in step one, problem, step yeah. two, step three. And, you know, if you're step one, you have to follow through with it. And things like a contaminated connect, you know, dim uh edge connectors you yeah. know which i dealt with all the time it weren't clean properly you can't you know you go back to the 
you go all oh, back to the chain. Oh yeah, we'll clean our connectors better next time. Okay, that they're was not. you know no and they're not and the big thumbprint right across the middle right. of them. Yeah, and besides that, just take out your dim uh, board and plug it back in, and you fix it because it's, uh, it's just scrape the crud off to the yeah, side exactly. for now. It's, <laughs> it's not really fixing it, but it's yeah, it kind of gets you through it the day. It's not my yeah. problem, man. It works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I, I I agree that. There are many things you can do before you go into it, before you have a product built. There's a whole issue, though, Kirk, with the more advanced, whether it's CAD or SPICE or, or multi, multiple physics things or physics of failure models and stuff like that. Yeah, right. And it's very similar to what you've run into many times with a company saying, well, of course it failed. You overstressed it. And you're trying to explain right. the concept to them. Right. If, right. if the model's truly just a black box, and the engineer goes, well, that's not real. That model's not verified. They they can throw up all kinds of objections to, you know, that never happens. And I've had case after case after case where it's like, then we find out later when we got prototypes or almost after, right after we started shipping that, you know, that model that we looked at and said that you need to fix this thing. It was right. <laughs> you know, yeah. you do that two, three Going times or somebody, they start I, I believing. You, so. It's not a good practice. Not it's not a, a good, good practice, but the idea is, is that the, there's an objection to a model. So if you bring in this new fangled physics, of failure model, they're going <laughs> to go, where who made that up? They don't know what they're talking about. I, there's just so much resistance at times. Now I've run into other engineers. This one guy, he was making um, a CPAP machine and it's a, a device that right. helps people that have sleep apnea where they stop right. breathing when they're sleeping. So it forces air um, through their system. And, right. and, Very common. and so one of the issues they had with it is that if you're pushing a bunch of air and it's going through this, box basically and trying to get to where it needs to go if you don't design that correctly it whistles or it hums or it makes a noise that is the opposite of helping somebody sleep right and so they their traditional way of doing it was they'd make a bunch of mock-ups and then run a bunch of air through it in an anarchic chamber to see mm -hmm. and then measure it to see what kind of right. sound power it had and what kind of frequencies right. it had right. and it would take them weeks to finalize the design. And so I was out doing a, a course on design of experiments and one of the guys didn't come back after lunch. And I was like, Oh, I guess, you know, whatever. And I saw him on my way out and he flagged me over and says, you know what you showed us this morning, I just did using my computational fluid dynamics simulation software. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I was able to do a DOE to mm -hmm. these seven variables I had mm -hmm. and run all the experiments through the simulator, right. the, the software. Mm -hmm. And, I learned so much. I got, right. you know, a design that I'm pretty sure tomorrow when we mock it up, it's going to be fine. But he got right. him in, in three hours. He went from, I got two weeks of work to do here to really narrowing it down using a, a simulation tool to run it out. And he could do all these what ifs and he could check this and mm -hmm. he set it up right. with a, a decent right. experiment. Right. And he just way shortened his time frame. Of what right. he was doing. And then he told me, don't tell my boss because I want those two weeks to fix these other things. <laughs> you know? Well, kind yeah, of. you know, a lot of uh, electronics we couldn't develop without uh, CAD and computers. I mean, laying out an integrated circuit now is impossible. Nobody does it by hand drawing. How I mean, many, it's, how many you know, cells they got in them? Is that yeah, into the billions the, now or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. So, you know, it's just like, um, 
anyway, we, we've seen the evolution of, of uh, software and and the, the ability to model physics, and I think it's getting better and better. I don't know how well these companies uh, actually um, – you know, verify all these tools with the real models, with real world um, boards and circuits and things like that, and adjust them um, based on, you know, the real materials and real. And I think that's where that real. hesitancy comes from, from, you know, the old school engineer or mm -hmm. the one that's not familiar with mm -hmm. the details of what's that model mm -hmm. or simulation. Right. Because it's very, and I totally agree, is all models are wrong. Who's that? <laughs> right. Some are useful. Box or cox right. or something. And some are useful. <laughs> yeah. And yet you got to understand enough about where it came from and how it's built and what are its assumptions and everything else. And, right. you know, if I'm, got a model that works great on FR4, it's probably not the right model to use on my, you know, uh, glass the, the right, aluminum siding right. inside of a house. It's right, right, probably right. not the right system. Right. Uh, but yeah, there's over and over again, whether we're, so a lot of CAD programs from the mechanical guys have uh -huh. built into it now, the finite element analysis. Yes. Yes. And yes. It, the hard, what I found is that there's two, types of people, three types of people. One is I never, I don't know enough about finite element and I know it's complex. So I, I just don't use it. And there's another group that <laughs> I took, I got a PhD in finite element analysis. This is a great tool. I use it all the time. Yeah. And there's the vast majority in the middle that they're familiar with it, but you can set up a, a, a mesh or have it set up and it'll give you a number. Right. Yet. Is it accurate? Is it not? Is it, true can i believe it if it fits with their gut feeling they go oh that's great if it doesn't fit with their gut feeling yeah. they dismiss it right and so i don't know what the solution there is is how do we get the appropriate use of these various tools in a meaningful way without pushing them beyond their boundaries or capabilities that's a real problem and i think one that we're not going to solve in two minutes no no and uh you know this is all uh before you have the product and, you know, verifying that it, it initially uh, the design will meet the requirements uh, from a design point, from a theoretical point. And then you build, start building the product and that, that, that in itself, you know, it's just like it's constructing a building, going from the architect to the actual building. Mm -hmm. you, ha you may have to modify what you're doing because of lack of materials, lack of, uh, you know, lack of. The, the site you're going to build on, something like that, which you already know about. Well, have you read the the book about how they b designed and built the Dreamliner, the, the Boeing 787, I think its number is? No, but I worked, I worked with worked the Boeing engineers. Yeah. No, it, <laughs> Triple seven. And, yeah, no, the Dreamliner, I think the Dreamliner was the one that has the composite wings. Yeah, it also had the lithium-ion battery. Yeah, that was a mistake, but anyway, I, I figured that fired. one out. But, the, <laughs> but one of the things that struck me in that book was early on talking about DFR tools and stuff like that, yeah. is that it used to be they would you know, make a design of a, a, the fuselage and the wing attachments and stuff, right. and then, then they right. go build one. And right. then they figure out, oh, wait a second, I got to run a wire through here. Where's this? you know, the line from the toilet, where's it going to go? And, and there's yeah. not holes in the bulkheads. There's no clearance. They say, well, mm. there's a hole there. And he goes, yeah. that's for one wire. We've got a hundred wires in this bundle. Uh -huh. And then they go back and they'd machine that out. And then they go change the drawings and get another prototype and figure out, well, 
wait a second, we got to do that on the next bulkhead too. Mm -hmm. And it took them years to build a new platform. And then they found out that, oh, if we give our designers 3D CAD systems, mm -hmm. they can actually mimic the size of 100 wires in a bundle right. and know how big it is. Right. <laughs> Where's it going? Exactly. <laughs> know, and know how, how much strain relief to put on it. Yeah. Where to protect the uh, edges as it passes through, yeah. you know, uh, solid metal surfaces. But up until like recent models that have come out, that was all done by craftsmen on the floor. Yeah. And they would go back and change the paper drawings. And I, right. Oh, my right. God. Yeah, but, the, you know, we nobody could build an iPhone on a, you know, paper drawings or anything else, really, these days. It, it really takes very high-level computers, you know, and that begets better, higher-level computers. You know, we're, it's kind of exponential. Yeah. The better we computers, we, we get better design software. We get better multi-physics models. We get better uh, simulation, simulations of, of the entire design because it's, you know, it's not beyond – a computer now to be able to run so much more simulations simultaneously oh, yeah. in these in these things. So that 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 it's just you know that we can't do it, and you know this is where AI is going to help too. Well, yeah, I I always my that's a whole other thing. But I know, we'll, I know, it's a whole other thing. But, but my my pushback on I was thinking about it though, as you're saying all these computers and it's getting better. And we're doing stuff we can't do before. Right. I says, when's the last time you asked one of your AI enabled uh, smart devices to tell you a joke. <laughs> well, really advanced there, I tell you. Right, well, you know, Chat GTP is one that'll go just scan all the knowledge of jokes in the in the the internet, and it'll, it'll kind of scrape things, and it doesn't come up with really good ideas. But I, I've used it, and <laughs> it's just like I would trust a AI uh, imaging for X-ray because the higher, you know. Oh, yeah has much more capability than a human's eye to distinguish contrast levels. Yeah. Yeah. We can't get close to that. Yeah. You know, no, the, we're not, we don't have the physical so, capability to do it. Yeah, I would trust I, that. I agree. That would be true in electronics yeah. too. It, the, it's coming. The AI I, will be BGA, you know, crack BGAs and things that we can't distinguish by other, you know, methods either. Uh, or unless you die in pride or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's going to be great advances in its ability to help us in failure analysis once we get oh, yeah. to those yeah. kind of situations. It's coming. There's no doubt about it. Yet, I, oh. I, I, there's so many really easy, free, basic, basic tools and approaches that I don't know why they're not just not universally applied. There's great tools in CAD and, and finite element analysis and physics of failure and all these other wonderful computer-based ones and simulation yeah. tools. They've been around for a long time. Computational fluid dynamics and thermal analysis, all kinds of stuff has been available. For sure. But for sure, they're not, there's some that are very powerful, but they're not free. They can oh, make no. cost thousands of dollars for these packages. And I, I, and I think they're worth it probably. Yeah. No, I, I've run into so many that are even just like you're saying, if you can't lay out a, the design of an iPhone, on the old drafting board <laughs> that ain't gonna happen um so take advantage of that computational power you got and yeah. look for variations look for right. um you know odd spots and in stress concentrations right. all those other pieces that go into how do you create it oh and then by the way make sure that your robots can build it because <laughs> that kind of stuff that's but, right but anyway right. I, you know part of you know engineering is continuing to learn and we've got all these great tools out there so it's 
I think you told me this, Kirk, years a couple months ago. It's like, don't be afraid. Just try it, you know, and learn right. what you can learn to from it and make it work. I think you were right. talking about chat GPT. But the, yeah, the idea yeah. is, is that, <laughs> you know, the engineers, we've got some amazing challenges. We got to solve problems. We've got a bevy of tools out there for us to help us make it you know, right the first time or as close to as reliable as we can get it the first time around, which is great. So right. give it a shot, you know, yeah. and if you're using a, a cool one of these tools or you've got some great disaster story or success story, let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. And you can find a couple of ways to get in touch with us there. Uh, Kirk and I and the other hosts are also available through LinkedIn or our about pages. And as usual, we always look forward to hearing from you and what your questions are or comments. Um, and we're at over 900 episodes now, Kirk. And, and yeah. I think by the end of the year, we'll be at a thousand. Or end of next year, it's going to be it's, we'll push it yeah. that far. Okay, well, let's hope that we make it there. And, uh, you know, we'll see uh, some more development in this field, I'm sure. I'm I mean, sure. there's... It keeps moving so fast. Yeah, I I, I uh, try to keep current too, and so it, it's that's difficult. You know, I, I look at all these new software, new tools, and uh, all of them are helpful. But you know, you, once you get the real product, <laughs> <laughs> you'll that, break it. That's for where him. the rubber meets the road. Yeah, that's yeah. where you verify. That's where you see what reality is. That's it. All right. Well, more reality to you, Kirk. We'll talk to you later. All right, Fred. Talk to you later. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.